Welcome to my podcast, Dating Over 50, The Pleasures and the Perils. One thing I can promise for every episode, I will be authentic about my experiences and observations and do it with as much humor as possible. Not always possible, but generally speaking, it is. Beyond that, I will keep making the point that we're all in this together and that no one should ever, ever feel alone or judged in any way. I think we can all agree that dating over 50 is hard enough as it is. After you listen, you're welcome to comment on my Lynn Garson author page on Facebook. But for now, keep listening for another new episode. Hi, I'm Lynn Garson. Welcome back to my podcast, Dating Over 50, The Pleasures and the Perils. This is episode two, which is about my immediate post-divorce dating experiences. I don't know about any of you, but that was not a good time for me. Uh, It was maybe the worst of times. And during that period, I felt the most isolated and afraid that I've ever felt, I think, really in my life. And that was unexpected to me. I had not gotten married very young. I'd been on my own for a while. I think I was 31, almost 32 when I got married and had lived alone. I'd gone to law school. I'd traveled. Um, You know, it's not like I had always had someone else to rely on, but I had for 19 years. And when I separated and then got divorced, um, it was not a good time for me. All of the things that I said in episode one about having reached a point of self-awareness and confidence through my experiences, none of that was true back then, right when I had gotten divorced. I thought back then that nobody understood how I felt, nobody understood how isolated I was, and I couldn't, I felt like I was in a hole. I had no self-esteem. I was terrified. I remember being terrified. I mean, remember in episode one when I said that I'm now comfortable reaching out to men I'm interested in and that I understand now that if I try to be somebody else other than myself, that it's never going to work, that I can't just try to be what some man wants me to be in the hope that, oh, well, you know, then he'll want to be with me because he'll like me. Back then, that's exactly what I thought. I thought, I am terrified. I am desperate. I'm looking for a lifeline, and, you know, I don't think I thought this in the the top of my mind, but I think subconsciously I thought, you know, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll, I'll be what I think somebody wants me to be. So the first thing I did was set myself up to go after somebody who had been a friend for years and years and years. This was a guy that, you know, I was friends with. We we had been to many parties together, dinners. I'd known him, like I said, for a long time. He was single. And I thought, okay, well, you know, let's go for him. And I remember setting up a dinner. I invited him for dinner at a restaurant. And I got all fixed up and all dressed up. And I went there And I had a little Dutch courage. I had maybe one drink, maybe two drinks. I'm not that much of a drinker, so two drinks and, you know, I'm I'm pretty well gone. And I broached the topic to this guy that, you know, we know each other really well and wouldn't it be a great idea if we just got together? 
you know, we belong together. I remember I was like, but you know me, you know me so well, and you know how well we get along. We belong together. And God bless him. You know, I think he looked at me and and thought I'll be nice to her. And he said, he said, I'll think about it. And I hung on to that hope that he was going to think about it. And I waited one week and I waited two weeks. And at the end of the third week, I called him and I said, can we meet at Starbucks? I haven't heard back from you. And we met at Starbucks. And he told me this is never going to happen. And I didn't really know how to tell you, but if it was going to happen, it would have happened a long time ago. And this is never going to happen, but you know, good luck. And, and I'm still your friend. So that was number one. That was, that was right out of the gate. Number two was somebody I'd known from law school who lived in New York. And I, somebody I've always thought was great person, just, you know, checked a lot of the boxes and, and I really liked him. And he was single also at the time. And I thought, okay, well, couldn't get one locally. Let's go find somebody somewhere else. So I went up to New York and I remember having lunch with this guy. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I do know that he said to me, are you feeling a little bit desperate and are you trying to make this into something that it's not? I think I'd pulled the same, oh, we know each other so well. Just think how it would be. And he didn't go for it either. So I, I understood then that settle down a little bit, do the best you can. It's not going to happen that fast. And I think maybe I calmed down a little bit. Let's say those things happened in the first six months or eight months or so. And then I really picked a gym. So I went on meetup, a meetup site. I don't know if you know those, but they're free sites for everything from playing bridge to climbing mountains to going to the movies to going to concerts to playing cards. Is anything you might want to do, there's a meetup somewhere in your community if you're in a community of any size at all. And I was. So I got on a meetup, I think it was to go to movies. And I'm a big, big music fan. So anybody who knows me will will say that I go to concerts all the time and enjoy them still and plan to keep going to them. And I, for some reason, reached out and said just generally to the group, is anybody of the Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young fan? Because I'm just a huge fan of that group when it was those four musicians and continue to be a fan of all of, them, all of them individually, and Neil Young in particular. So this one guy responds to me, and I think he said, no, but you know, you sound interesting, you want to meet, or something like that. And I now can tell you, on the other end of that, that I must have been so ripe for the picking. This guy was a predator, and I was a little sheep. If you ever saw, um, you know, one of the movies, I forget what it is, Jurassic Park, where they stake out the the sheep or the lamb or whatever it is, and the T-Rex comes and eats it. I was the sheep. I was the, the goat. I think it's a goat that they staked out. So that's me. That's the goat. And we go out. First of all, you know, 
I have, everybody has certain things that they like and they don't like. I was a smoker years and years ago. I have I quit many years ago. I was a heavy smoker, but I quit by the time I was 31, quit before I was married. And at this point, I'm, you know, I guess I'm 50 or whatever I am, 50, maybe early 50s. So it's been a long time since I've smoked. And as many reformed smokers, I'm practically allergic to it at this point. I really don't like the smell of it. I don't like to be around it. I don't like anything about it. And I'm pretty firm. At that point, I was absolutely firm that I wouldn't date somebody who was a smoker. So what happens? I meet this guy. I'm sitting up in a uh, cafe that's on a second floor of a building, and I look down, and I see this guy. And he looked like a mountain man from back in the woods. I mean, if you saw Deliverance, you know, that was sort of, uh, but big, bigger, much bigger than those guys in Deliverance, big guy. And he comes up, and he meets me, and he's a smoker. So wouldn't you think that I might say, hey, nice to meet you, you know, have a little coffee, and then I would move on. No, not me. I was so still, you know, I thought that after the first two experiences, I'd pulled myself together a little bit, but not so much. I dated this guy for a little while, and just where I don't even know how to explain it, but without going into great detail, you know, I don't know if any of you ladies have a similar experience, but in that post-divorce period, you can have some of the greatest sex of your life, you know, just saying. So it didn't matter who it was. You know, I was having good sex with this guy, mm, let's say spectacular sex with this guy, and well, that seemed good, all seemed good. You know, but there were a few red flags, like he never invited me to his house. And there were many times where he was supposed to come over and all of a sudden he'd call very late and he'd say, oh, oh I'm so sorry. I, I remember one in particular. My neighbor's toilet broke and I had to go over there and fix her toilet. She's an old lady and now it's just too late. And, you know, I, you'll hear me say this more than once. I'm Bambi. I may be a lawyer, you know, I may do a lot of things that require brain power. At some levels and in some situations, I'm just plain Bambi. And so I'm just nodding dumbly going, oh, okay, all right, well, I'll see you when you can. And I had the most interesting experience. I'm standing in line at a Starbucks and there's a lovely woman in front of me and she's buying a lot of very serious-looking books. And I say to her, boy, you're going to read those. I mean, they're, those are pretty serious-looking books. And she goes, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. And we start talking, and we decide we're going to go into the Starbucks in the Barnes & Noble store, and we chat for a while. And I don't know why, but I told her the story of this man. And she looked at me, and she said, I don't know you at all. I, you know, I don't even know why I'm telling you this or, or saying this, but I think this man is married. And, you know, Bambi goes, no, what? No, no I think it couldn't possibly be. And she says, um, you know, just, I'm sorry, but I really do think that he's married. 
So I called another friend. This is my friend Liz in New York that I, I think I mentioned in Sex and the Single Grandma, who's been my friend forever and ever and ever. And I run this by Liz, who is as savvy as anybody ever was. And she says, why don't you go where he, go find him? Go where he lives. Well, he did once upon a time give me his address, even though I had never been there. So I put my trusty dog, Hazel, in my minivan, and I drive out on a, I think I waited till the next day, and I drove out midday, 3.30, something like that, to, it was about, I think, 40 minutes from where I lived. And I turn into this subdivision, and I look at the signs, the street signs, you know, the house numbers, and there is a car, his car, parked in the house with the number one down from what he had told me was the house number where he lived. And it was definitely his car. And I parked and I really, you know, I was scared. And I, I sort of got together all of my courage and I went and rang the doorbell of the woman at the end of the street. And she's a nice young woman. She had a couple of young children. And I just looked at her and I said, I am really sorry to bother you. I know this seems very strange, but could you please tell me whether the guy in house 302 is married? And she says, yeah. And I literally, like my knees got weak and, and I must have like looked like I was going to fall down because I am not a person to date married men. Let's just say that. That's not, that's not in my playbook. I don't do that. And I would never have knowingly done that. And I go into her house. She, you know, pours me a glass of water, sit down. And I tell her, you know, I've been going out with this guy and I didn't think that he was married. And she said, well, I don't know him very well. So, you know, last time I talked to him was maybe six months ago. I think he's married, but you should go talk to the neighbor at the house that he actually had given me the house number for. And she knows him very well. So she'll tell you. I go knock on that neighbor's door and she lets me in. And then I tell her what I want. And she literally shoves me back out. She went, I'm not talking to you. She got very angry, shoved me back out. I go back to my minivan. And lo and behold, she scurries across her yard into this man's yard, rings the doorbell, goes into his house, disappears into the house, comes out a little bit later while I'm sitting there watching. And, you know, I have a little guts even when I'm scared. You know, I can pull it together and just show some courage. So I did. I pulled myself together and I went and I knocked on the guy's door and he comes out and I've got to give him credit for being a quick on your feet liar, as quick as you can be, because he looks at me and says, this isn't a good time. I'm having a discussion with my ex-wife. And I said, come on, this is your wife. I know it's your wife and I'm not leaving here until I talk to her. Don't ask me why I had that be in my bonnet that I had to speak to her. I was livid. I was hurt. I was angry. I, I just felt that I, I also had a sense that I felt bad for her too. And I sat in my minivan and, and he finally, you know, he said she's never coming out. Finally, she brought me, he brought me a note from her saying, please go away, which I know he wrote. And I went away. I, I finally gave up and went away and, and licked my wounds and went off and had a test for AIDS and STDs. 
uh, which is something we all still have to deal with at this ripe stage of life. And I did, and I got very lucky that uh, there was not a problem. I never spoke to the guy again, and that was the end of that. Uh, had another couple of dates after that in fairly short order. Dated a very nice guy for a while who, believe it or not, actually was a rocket scientist. You know how you think, you know, you say, well, you know, they act like they're a rocket scientist. He actually was. Uh, I was living in Norfolk, Virginia, and that's near, I think, NASA. So that was, or near Langley. It's near Langley, and, and maybe I'm getting it wrong, but anyway, it's near where rocket scientists go to work. And that didn't work out, but we ended up being friends, dated somebody else for quite a while. Very, very nice guy. Didn't work out. And I think I was still dating him when I decided in my infinite wisdom to try to reconcile with my ex-husband. I wanted my family back. I wanted my old life back desperately. These men were not doing the trick for me. I missed my family. I hated the sharing of the holidays and the joint custody. And my ex was willing to do this. And this is when I went down for the count. If you listen to episode one, you know that between 2008 and 2010, I had two stays in mental health facilities for depression and what they called catastrophic anxiety. And this is when it began. On the very day that I agreed to reconcile and my ex-husband agreed to reconcile, I set up an internal battle where part of me was saying, are you kidding? You know, you, you're apart for a reason. Don't do this. And another part of me said, shut up, we're doing this, I don't care what you say. And I, I remember that internal dialogue and that fight going on. Uh, I'm very good friends with my ex-husband, by the way, at this point, but it was your typical divorce. It was hard, and it was nasty, and it was painful, and, you know, there was no love lost at that point. And all I can say is I did not—whatever I, I did, it took me out. And after six months of not being able to eat, sleep, I, every time I took a breath, it was like there was a stone on my chest. I ended up in the first of two hospitals that I talked about a little bit on episode one. Uh, during that period, 2008 to 2010, needless to say, I wasn't dating. Now, I shouldn't, I should take that back because I've actually been in these facilities and it's not unusual for patients to date each other. People are thrown together, you're burying your soul, it's natural that relationships would form. They, the people in charge tell you not to, and there are obviously very good reasons not to, and I didn't. So, I did not date in that period. Uh, I did get better, and in fact, write about that in Southern Vapors, you know, what that recovery was like. And I got back into the fray in probably late 2010, early 2011. And that's where the journey that's described in Sex and the Single Grandma actually begins. So I'll pick that up with episode three. And until then, I hope you recognize something of yourself in some of the things that I talked about, because like I said before in episode one, I don't want anybody to feel like they're alone in any of this. 
everyone has experienced parts of the same journey after you get divorced and in the dating scene. And I want you to know that I have and that we are all in this together. So until next time, take care.